0: Welcome to the Sassy Sales Podcast. This week we talked to Simon Yock, founder and CEO of Foresight, and another fellow with an Antipodean accent. To our North American listeners, this could just as easily be a soothing soundtrack as it is helpful for your professional development. Now, Foresight's really quite an interesting business. They've got an app solution that provides property owners confidence that their contractors are safe and compliant on site. This makes them one of those companies that's ideally positioned to support us during the COVID crisis because, amongst other things, they can provide live data about who's on a property, provide alerts if there's an issue. Simon's a first-time founder who came from a tech sales background and we talk about his learnings and what makes for a successful transition to CEO and the key levers for building a great business. Let's get into it. So Simon Yock, great to have you all the way from New Zealand. Uh, Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you uh, giving me this opportunity and I hope you're staying safe in the U.S.
0: We are, we are, and to you. You know, uh, one of the favourite anecdotes I like to give in our training about New Zealand and Australia, you'll be vintage enough to appreciate as we think back to um, Robert Muldoon, who said, every Kiwi that emigrates to Australia raises the average IQ of both countries. (laughs) Do you remember that one?
1: (laughs) I remember that one, well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. still tell it. I got to keep that one alive. But anyway, we're not here to uh, start trans Tasman wars. Uh, let's let's not do that. Super excited to have you on the on the program. Um, uh, love to speak to founders and CEOs. So let's kick off a little bit of context. Uh, can yeah. you tell us about your company? Um, and in, always interested to hear the 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 problems that you solve for your customers as you tell us about your company.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So the, so the company I, I founded roughly about four odd years ago, a business called Foresight, was, I guess, identifying a problem based on my own personal experience. So my personal background, uh, I guess, in terms of work life, spans two main domains. One, a technology evangelist, selling technology, and two, a dabbler in the property industry. And combining both of those, when I look at the property industry specifically and people in the business of managing property, there are a number of key challenges. Um, if you remember back to the days of the old uh, internet ads around the Nigerian hands-free cassette, you know, the person with the cell phone strapped to the head because they were so busy talking on it. Yeah. I, I do sometimes suspect that was made for the property managers. And, and the reason I say that is these people have this remarkably common challenge. They are way too busy. The great property managers start the day with a to-do list. And the reality is, even with those great managers, that to-do list probably ends each day longer rather than shorter. And when I thought about this problem further, I thought the the challenge is they're managing typically more than one property. And so the reality is they have to manage those properties remotely. So ironically, they're probably well-versed in our current times when we will need to work remotely if we're working at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But given that context of that challenge, their job primarily is managing the people that come to and from those properties to keep them maintained, to keep them safe. And often many of those services, even in today's market, are considered essential services. Do the fire sprinkler systems work in a building? Can you actually leave the building in the event of an emergency? And the problem with this is this... This business activity happens today, primarily for most of these property managers still, on a foundation of complete trust, i.e. the reality is they have no idea whether this is occurring or not. And also with governments looking to drive compliance in all areas, and health and safety, thankfully so, these people are also tasked with making sure the health and safety of these people that they don't even know whether or not they're coming to their site is in place as people are operating safely and are leaving the site. So a solution was required to give them this information, give them this insight, enable them to help these people be healthy and safe while operating their site, and actually fundamentally to know whether or not they're doing that. So to me, it screamed out for a technology solution. And I guess a bit like the old Remington shaver ad, I did a bit of a market scar, market search, and I simply couldn't find anything out there that did this. So rather than buy the company i had to build the company and that's what we did taking my own personal understanding of the fact that i do a little bit of property management work and worked with others for a number of years and sold technology for a number of years i was able to grasp the issues behind the problem and get the right people together to build a solution that actually actively addresses this and so that's what we've
0: done so so i want to i want to grab onto that simon so so you know you've you've founded a company coming from a background of business development, sales. So you had those skills, uh, which I think a lot of product led uh, founder based companies are uh, discount. Initially I've worked for, you know, a couple of uh, product focused founders that understand the critical nature of sales. Um, So I think that's value. And clearly you had some, um, I don't know if you'd claim it to be domain expertise, but certainly exposure um, uh, coming into this. I'd like to jump off that, and, and, and a lot of the people listening to this will be thinking about the CEO track. And it yes. be you know founder or not, it, it, it'd be really helpful to get your perspective on terms of what you were expecting it to be like four and a half years ago or so <laughs> when you started this, and what you now know to be true, just so people yeah. can think about that and learn from your experience.
1: Yeah, and, and so I guess uh, coming from that sales and business development background, anybody, with, I think, with any track record in that space probably tends to err towards the cut as half full rather than half empty, I suspect. Sales is, is one of those disciplines that to do for any period of time, you've got to be positive, you've got to be energet- energetic, you've got to be outgoing and you've got to be, have perseverance to keep going. You can only do that if you have a a half full mentality, I think. Um, If you're pessimistic and conservative by nature, you simply will stop activity. And so I guess given that background, that's enabled me to have the enthusiasm and the perseverance to keep going. But it's probably also presented, I guess, some challenges in terms of my initial assumptions and the reality of this sort of pathway. you know, the old adage of, of Rome wasn't built in a night um, is certainly very true, I think. It, there's always, with even the best planning in the world, there's always plenty of unexpected surprises. Um, there's, there's differences in planning and outcomes, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, but very definitely many more differences than you can ever plan for and ever assume for. And so having that perseverance to keep going, having that optimism to keep going, has been a valuable trait. Um, you know, it's
0: really interesting um, that you say that because, of course, we interview reps looking for resilience, grit, the ability to persevere through difficult times, you know, and uh, my first business was in New Zealand. Uh, It was called Convenient Cuisine, which was kind of the pre-internet version of uh, Uber Eats or or Ah. one of those food delivery services. And um, to your point about optimism as a salesperson, you should have, you wouldn't have believed my uh, monthly growth and quarterly, uh, quarter over quarter growth assumptions, (laughs) which proved to be completely wrong. I think from my standpoint, what I learned as a first time founder was do scenario based modeling, you know, the worst possible scenario you can imagine the best, Maybe. you know, and hopefully it'll land in the middle somewhere. And I don't know about you, but as a, as a, you know, at that time, a reasonably successful sales rep, um, you know, the, the sun was always shining in my mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, look, I think that's a really good observation. And I think, um, certainly, you know, now what I do is with, with any forecasting, um, I tend to have I tend to have three scenarios, you know, at plan, uh, over plan, and under plan, because you have to do that, right? You've got to you've got to have a tolerance for worst case. You've got to, You've got to have a plan based on expected outcomes, and and ideally, you've got to be prepared for those bluebirds that might come in, right? The thing, the terrific upsides that you couldn't even even um, it. and potentially for us. As tragic as COVID-19 is for the rest of the world right now, it's potentially that bluebird for us right now with the core functionality of what we do.
0: Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. And I, I think um, uh, extending the thought, um, if you were to look back now, what experiences or skills or learnings do you wish you'd had more weight on or more exposure to before checking on that founder CEO hat? For me, I, I think that, you know, I was quite young when I first got into it and something I realized very quickly that there were three things that I really needed to get good at if I was going to build a company. And that was people, people, and people. Um, <laughs> so what's, what do you, what did you, what do you reflect on now and thinking, heck, this would have been very useful coming into yeah. this experience?
1: Look, I think you've missed the fourth one. And that's people. You know, <laughs> it's I, I, I completely 100% agree right the, the it, and a, and even in a technology centric business the the input and, and the support from people can't be underestimated um, again if, even if we look at the current world you know why why things are working or not is entirely people no matter what processes no matter what technologies no matter what governance structures we use, everything comes back to people. And I think the, the only skill that a CEO actually needs mastery over is actually the enablement of people. The, the CEO, to my mind, is the chief enablement officer. I remember someone else, and I, and I did like that, this description calling it the chief enthusiasm officer. The reality is that the CEO is the coach, right? The CEO, the, the best CEO in the world, finds the absolutely best people that they know have more knowledge, more skill, more mastery of all those different component disciplines that actually fundamentally make up a business. Be it, you know, be it the financial management, be it the marketing management, be it the sales management and, and execution, be it the product management and execution um, and, and they simply enable those people to be the absolute best they can I, so, so coming back to what I wish I'd done, I, look I, I wish I'd I wish I'd been even more of a student of the world and even more of a student of people, I don't, you know when I think back on this I think would I like to have gone to university and done more courses? No I don't think so would I have liked to have understood psychology more? And, and do I still try and do that? Absolutely. And that's just by engaging with people, right? Um, the, the greatest teams actually, they recognise that if it's a sports team, that person what we called the coach or the CEO actually is just an absolute trusted confidant they can go to and that they can tell them what's happening, good or bad, and if it's good, that person will praise and reward them. And if it's bad, that person will help them to figure out what can they themselves actually do about the situation. And if they
0: yeah, if- I, I think that makes a ton of sense. And you know, um, something that I'm observing Silicon Valley doing very well these days is recognition of the fact that the first time founder or CEO doesn't have all the answers. And um completely consistent with your points if they're going to be the chief enablement officer um, they're a conduit uh, to information to ideas to be a good coach to be uh, asking those open questions and then making connections to people who help where they need to but then what silicon valley is doing very well is recognizing that that ceo needs a coach as well where's their support group because yes. to your point if i'm the chief enthusiasm officer at, at, a, at a moment like this and we're speaking right now in the middle of the COVID situation um yeah how do how do i maintain maintain my mental state when i'm not sure what to do next and that's why i think these ceo peer networks uh, are very valuable ceo yeah. coaches are very valuable Now, in your path, in your journey, have you been able to secure a mentor or coach or a peer group network that you you can have those candid conversations with?
1: I've, you know, I have at times in my career prior to this role and during this role, I've I've had mentors. And right now, actually fundamentally what I have, I have a member of the board who primarily that's actually his role. Um, He is the mentor because I think, regardless of whether you're a first-time founder or an nth time member, uh, founder, actually, that still holds true. The the more self-aware you become, the more, actually, you know, the more you know what you don't know, right? Um, The more you know, actually, whether you've got genuine mastery of any discipline uh, within business. Um, And certainly no one has full mastery of understanding people. And I think you know genuine enablement also means actual genuine integrity and honesty. And it, whilst I like that tag, the Chief Enthusiasm Officer, I think it's not exactly right because because the reality is even even the greatest leader and coach, even with the best mentors in place, will still have those doubts, will still have those moments of not being enthusiastic. And in fact, the greatest thing they can do for their team is they can be open enough to share that as well, right? Because particularly when you look at something like today, actually, how many of us foresaw this? And I'll be honest, you know, I, I came back from London on the 9th of March. I was in London that Monday to Friday, the 2nd to 6th of March, walking around London. And I, I, there was no way I had my head around understanding what COVID-19 means. For me... It, the realization of, of what we're dealing with, I think I'm starting to understand now, but, but I'll be perfectly honest, by no means do I fully understand at this point. I think the reality is just about no one on the planet still does. I think even these, these um, health specialists and pandemics, they're still grappling with what this thing means.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And uh, I'm just glad to hear that you made it back because New Zealand shut the borders. Um, So (laughs) that's good. Um, Yeah. But so, you know, uh, the way I think about it and listening to what you say is, you know, one of our um, claimed um, development areas might be, uh, or area we've developed perhaps, is our ability to acknowledge that we are increasingly conscious of our incompetence the older we get. (laughs) You know? Uh, yeah. and, and it is a skill, I think. I think it's and it's a valuable skill to know what you don't know. Um, and also recognize that as CEO founder, you don't have to know, right? That's, no, that's right. That's, right. That, that's the thing. And I think, you know, and some folks listening to this are still going to be in sales leadership positions. And one of the things we always talk about is that you mustn't think that you, are, you need to be the best salesperson in the room. Because if you're doing your job properly, you're hiring people that are better than you at that functional area.
1: You must be right. And, but also, but also allowing them to be human and also not placing that expectation on them that they know everything. Right. Because otherwise then you get all the bad behaviors and sales, right. You get, Oh yeah, you, you know, things are fine when they're not actually right. Um, no, no, it's all on track, but actually, actually they've got to share the details of something that's not on track you get sandbagging, you get all sorts of characteristics that actually, if you've got a genuinely open environment where you start first from that recognition of all humans, we're all trying to do our best, we're not perfect, we never will be, but we're striving to improve, then there will be challenges along the way. There'll be, there'll be unforeseen events, there'll be positive outcomes, there'll be negative outcomes, but there'll be a genuine intent to improve.
0: So uh, something I wanted to talk to you about is this idea of um, a bit like um, uh, Tim Ferriss's thoughts on most skills or abilities. There's, you know, there's the 10%, the 20% of things we do that actually really move the needle. and. If you think about and the rest of it's kind of noise and we don't realize what's noise and what's signal, but you know, I always think about the, the the time he decided he wanted to be a world champion um tango dancer and he figured it out in six months and got world ranked, like just because he sat down with <laughs> it and said, Look, <laughs> like forget how we normally learn this stuff. Just tell me what I absolutely have to be excellent at and let's do that. So from a management standpoint, what do you think of the practices that you employ that really make a difference? And I'm thinking about operation, operational rhythms, like, you know, the, the key meetings you have, or, um, the, the, um, policies or p- values or principles you have that really make a difference in, in delivering a great outcome.
1: So I think what I first, I guess, I try and I try to limit the number of meetings I have. Um, you know, if if a meeting doesn't achieve a purpose or an outcome that's really useful to everyone attending, then it probably shouldn't have happened. Um, you know, I've I've worked in large corporates where you get you get judged on on your performance and effectiveness by the volume of meetings you have. Well, that's the wrong way to go about it, right? It's, it's the quality of meetings, not the volume. Um, so, so my first principle is if I'm going to have a meeting with someone, do it because it, there's a specific necessary benefit to actually not just me, but every single person in that meeting, right? Don't, don't have a meeting for the sake of a meeting.
0: Can I ask you this? I, I have a principle that I, I put into a couple of companies that I worked for, for when I was actually an employ, employee, where I said, look, here's the culture. If I'm in a meeting and I want you all to feel the same way, if I'm in a meeting and three minutes into it, I realize that I can neither contribute nor um, need to be here to take away the output, then I'm allowed to leave. And yes. and, and the culture was I could literally five minutes into, oh, do you know what? I don't think I have any value to add to this meeting. So please excuse me. And that was Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know many people that do that.
1: <laughs> no, I don't either, but I think it, it's exactly the right sort of principle, right? It's, um, it, the thing about humans, right, is, is we all, just about every single one of us, without exception, has skills and actually has something fundamentally innovative or different or valuable about us. And it's, it's enabling people to... To to maximize those right to to your point about Tim Ferriss, it's it's enabling people to have the ability to focus on on what is their twenty percent, or or maybe it's ten percent, or maybe it's thirty percent, or maybe it's two, and do that as much as possible. Um, And so that that comes back exactly to that meeting philosophy, right? If you're not in a meeting, if you're in a meeting but you're not contributing because you don't have anything to contribute, don't be in the meeting. If, if you're doing work, if you're doing work because, because you're tasked with a volume of output, but actually, fundamentally, there is no value in that work. Why do that work? Um,
0: you know, hundred percent. So, so switch gears for a second for me. What, what are the key things that you look at as the top executive of your company that are really critical to making sure things are on track? Like what? What are the the key inspection points that, that you have? And but, what I'm thinking about here is, you know, it could be weekly numbers you track, or um, yeah, you know, you know, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. So, so we look certainly in terms of you know our sales team, we we track the weekly numbers. We we track the weekly numbers around um, our, our sales velocity of opportunities, mm-hmm. our our conversion of of meetings. To customers, our conversions of of lead nurturing to opportunity. So we do, so we do take a scientific approach to that, to, to figure out if we're if we're dealing with the right people. You know, if, if our conversion rate is diminishing, then actually maybe some of these new prospects we've been dealing with, we don't have the right value equation for. Us. So stop, so stop targeting that segment. And so we segment our our markets. We operate in, um, so we primarily operate in about two or three countries. We we segment those markets within those countries between type of prospect and size of prospect, and and issues of problems and um, desire to resolve those problems. And therefore, if we're if we're dealing with the right people that that identify those problems and want to resolve them, then we'll have a high conversion rate. We'll have more value to them, so the opportunity will progress. But but also another thing we do specifically is is even coming back to onboarding people in the company, one thing I I do, and I encourage everyone on the team to do, any of the hiring interviews I'm involved with, is, is I push it back to uh, any of our shortlist candidates. You know, if, if, they, if they've applied for an opportunity to work with us, why have they done that? How, did, how does that align with who they are today, who they want to be? And where do, where do they see that opportunity taking them within the next two to three to five years to... To try and identify that personal connection um, with what's their 10%, what's their 20%, what are the what do they actually fundamentally want to do that's gonna give them purpose, gonna give them inspiration and where, you know, to be perfectly commercially minded, where they're gonna add value, right? Um, because if you enable people to be doing what they wanna do and be able to add the most value. One, they're going to have much higher personal satisfaction too, but, but two, of course, that business is going to be much more effective from an execution point of view.
0: 100%. So I always like to ask people for some free tips for our folks. Uh, I'll start with the simple <laughs> stuff. Are there any books, podcasts, videos, that sort of thing that you found particularly useful as an executive leader?
1: I definitely Look, I, I'll have... Where I jump on TED Talks, and I think I think right now they're they're invaluable. Um, and I'll take a I'll take a bit of a random approach to them, to be perfectly honest, because for me it it's just coming back to that that people and, and people's why and people's makeup. And I I find TED Talks, you know, if you can grab different ones at any particular time, you'll get a, You'll get a new viewpoint. Some will work, some won't. But, but the chance of maybe picking up something new, a bit of a different perspective, um, something, th- something unexpected, um, and therefore you know helping with that, identifying hey, actually I didn't know about I lost, I can't be the master of everything, but I maybe actually need to be cognizant of that. So that's definitely a helpful resource for me. Um, I read books on economic cycles, I read books on history, I don't read as much as I'd like to. Um, I certainly try and avoid um, the regular press as much as possible because I have a bit of a cynical viewpoint about their unbiased presentation of information, I think they present information for the purpose of selling information rather than for reporting on what's occurring. I think that's a source of misinformation. Uh, so those would be my free tips. But Garvel's but-
0: No, that's really helpful. It's interesting. You know, when I was early in my career selling enterprise for um, a company that doesn't exist in, its, uh, in the same form as electronic data systems, for those of you who don't know, became Hewlett Packard Enterprise, which was um, a business process outsourcing, technology outsourcing company. And we would deal with all sorts of industries. And something I did as an enterprise rep was make sure that I just read broadly about e- each industry, things that... Um, yep. Yeah. technology salesperson you would never learn so to this day I'm still quoting um, supply chain and logistics theorists around the theory of constraints and I've actually applied that to my sales process um, <laughs> so I think it's great that you recommend Ted because the Ted Talks expose people to a wide variety of um, yep. thinkers right on different yeah. topics that's great
1: and, and, I, and I think your point you know it's that that knowledge is 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 varies markedly by level, right? So if you if you see yourself as being a sales professional for your entire career, and if you see yourself as being, a, you know, a sales rep, a sales executive, the person that does the deals, then I think that's right. You know, the reality is at some point you will you'll will filter into an area where you will focus either at an enterprise level or a segment of the market and so that's where your domain of mastery needs to be. Um, If you're going to be a sales leader then it's probably the motivation and enablement of those sales people and understanding how sales people typically probably do specialise over time but if you're as an executive leader or or, or, or a general manager it's, it's got to be that breadth of people, right? It's, it's got to be that sort of stuff. It's actually, you're never going to be a domain expert, ultimately, in anything other than potentially maybe somewhere towards people over time, right?
0: Got it. So as we come to the, at the end of our time today, we talked a lot about the importance of focusing on people, understanding, yeah. supporting, enabling. Are there any other... Uh, professional or personal philosophies you think uh, might be helpful for people to think about uh, outside of what we've talked about on on people to round out our conversation?
1: I think, I think, you know, I suspect most founders have, regardless of whether they come from a, a previous sales background or a product background or an innovation background, whatever background, the fact they became a founder, they probably start from a bias towards optimism and enthusiasm rather than being conservative. Um, And, you know, to your point about that first venture you started and over-forecasting, I I suspect the vast majority of startups, no matter where they end up and no matter what stage they're at, they've had a history at some point of over-promising and under-delivering. Because they, actually, the reality is, without that, probably most of them would never have even started anyway. Um, and so, I think if I could take any other learning, it would be that actually you're going to make mistakes along the way. You're going to get things wrong. You just you've got to you've got to acknowledge them. You've got to move on, um, but also try and learn from them too. Right? You can't you can't be repeating the same mistake. Time after time. Um, otherwise, you're not, you know, you're not showing that that personal growth yourself. And and again, for, your, for the team, that demonstration of of that openness to acknowledge your own mistakes you have made and are going to make, but you're going to try and avoid making the same mistakes, is, is the best way to lead and and encourage others.
0: Wise words. Really appreciate it. Um... Simon Yock, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, It was really a great chat. Looking forward to sharing this with our aspiring founders and our new founders. Really great having the time with you.
1: Thank you.